Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikester Death Podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. Yep, I'm still here. But I'm excited that on today's episode, I'm going to be co-moderating a live discussion about the Arkansas High Country Race with my friend, Lily, who is part of Ozark Gravel Cyclist. Now, this one deserves a little bit of a backstory. First, you may notice that last week we didn't have an episode, and that's because I went bikepacking with my buddies, and we were supposed to record an episode, and we just didn't feel like it. I took a me day, you know, a me trip, and actually I quite enjoyed it. A lot of my uh, trips now around cycling involve work, which is wonderful, Uh, but this time it was nice to just turn the mic off and enjoy a campfire with my friends. And so it left me scrambling a little bit to uh, fill that void. Can't leave you guys hanging, you know. So I get back and it's Tuesday night and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm reminded about this stories from the Arkansas high country that's being hosted by the Natural State Rock and Republic, which is owned by my previous guest, uh, Scotty Lechuga and her husband, Ernie. If you don't know by now, I'm a huge fan of both of them. Anyway, I, I was on Instagram and I see this post and I'm like, man, I really want to go. And then I see a few comments about, hey, is there going to be a podcast or a way to way to listen to this? And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. So, you know, I go into planning mode and their spot is about eight and a half hour drive from where I live here in Texas. And it was Tuesday night. And so I'm like, all right, well, I can, you know, wake up a little early, throw a bunch of stuff in the van. I don't need much, uh, pack a few clothes and all my recording equipment and head off to Arkansas. So without too much thought, I did exactly that. I let a few people know that I was going to be coming and I wanted to record it and 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 share it with with y'all, but had no real intention of actually participating. I was just going to be a spectator and enjoy the enjoy the stories, but um all right, so I get to Natural State Rock and Republic after a nine-hour drive, a little road-weary but excited, and I sit down, and the first person I talk to is setting up cameras and lighting and uh, mentions to me, like, oh, and you're going to be sitting over here, pointing to, like, the front of the room and telling me which mic would be mine and all this stuff, and I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) I... uh, I didn't know. Uh, I don't know what's going on. You got to fill me in. And so he's like, I think uh, Scotty wants you to to be up there. I was like, okay, okay. So anyway, I, I asked Scotty about it and um, she says that they would love to have me, um, you know, go up there and help co-moderate. And, you know, my biggest thing was I didn't want to step on Lily's toes. Um, I wanted it to be her show. So we talked to Lily and um, she was gracious enough to share the stage and the microphone with me. And I got to thinking about it. And uh, just two weeks ago, Lily and I were up in Stillwater, Oklahoma for the Truffle Shuffle just kind of randomly, and uh, they were doing a beer hand up, and I I let her borrow my bullhorn, and she had a great time with it, and I got to thinking about them like 10 days later, she's sharing her microphone with me, so I guess, I guess it just came full circle. But anyway, listen, more importantly, 
I was very excited to go and hear from this amazing panel of people who I greatly respect. You're going to get a chance to hear from each one of them on today's episode. There was a whole bunch of people there. Um, I don't know. I, I would estimate like 50 to 70, um, but I was kind of chatting and not really counting or anything. But you know, we had a we had an absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm super excited to have uh, Lily on the podcast today, uh, getting a chance to ask her questions and bring her perspectives um, to the conversation. And thought she did an outstanding job, and I truly enjoyed the evening. It was well worth the nine hour drive there. The next morning, I had to wake up early and drive nine hours home to go pick up the girls. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I I wanted to tell that story, one, just because it's kind of funny, but two, to highlight that as I'm working towards transitioning out of real estate and into full-time podcasting, you know, just thanks to all the support that y'all have been giving me, these are the types of things that I would like to be able to do to, you know, literally just be sitting on my couch and see something cool is happening and and drive halfway to wherever or all the way to wherever and uh, and capture it. You know, I just want to really, really thank all the supporters uh, of the podcast, because without y'all, I literally can't take off and, and do something like that and afford to do it. So with that said, let's take some time to thank all of the people who support the Bikes or Death podcast, starting with this week's newest patrons. First up, we got Jacob, then Melissa Patrick. And Melissa, I don't know you, but if we were ever to get married, I would want to take your last name and then I would be Patrick Patrick. Ha ha. Okay. Then we got Brian Young, Maggie Ross, Andreas Lofgren, Aaron McLucky, and Tom Surley. I appreciate y'all stepping up to be supporting and sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. If you are interested in supporting more trips like this, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Okay, this week's episode is also brought to us by Ruby Coffee Roasters. They are currently in full swing to help you plan for your holiday gift giving. You can check out their suggestions of gift options on rubycoffeeroasters.com, including a variety of prepackaged gift bundles, unique handmade seasonal ceramics, and their seasonal holiday blend cheers. Every year, Ruby sources coffee for Cheers Holiday Blend to create a flavor profile full of warm spices and deep fruit flavors designed to be enjoyed at the holiday gatherings all throughout the year. I don't know about you, but gift giving is one of the most challenging times of the year. I don't know what to get you, but I think there's one thing we can all agree on. Coffee is life. So give life this holiday season with Ruby Coffee Roasters. They're currently offering a promotion through the 28th on any orders over $150. You will get a $10 gift certificate sent to the purchaser as a thank you. And as always, you can use the code bikes or death. 
during checkout for 15% off any one-time purchase or 20% off the first shipment of any subscription. Thank you so much, Ruby Coffee Roasters. We appreciate you. All right, and next up, I got a little mini podcast with Mulberry Gap. Today, joining me all the way from Mulberry Gap, we have Tori Barnett. Tori, thank you for coming on the show. Why don't you take a moment to tell our guests what you do over at Mulberry Gap? Yeah, I'm our business development director, so my job is simple. It's really to connect more people with all the cool stuff we do at Mulberry Gap. Oh, wow. That sounds like a pretty great job. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's a great place to work and a great place to visit. So I understand that y'all are going to be running some pretty epic deals coming up. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, definitely. So for folks who don't know much about Mulberry Gap, we kind of have that summer camp for adults vibe going on. We've got the glampy cabins and the campsites and even van life parking spaces. We're kind of the place to be for anybody who's psyched to be outside in the woods. Mountain bikers for sure, but also hikers, backpackers, trail runners, and honestly, just people who want to drink a beer in the outdoors. So yeah, we have a summer camp feel, but it's not just about summer. Lots of folks don't know that we're open year-round, and winter is honestly one of the best times at Mulberry Gap. We have snow on the ground an average of like five days a year. So you get miles and miles of clear and open trails, no mosquitoes, low humidity, cool enough weather to enjoy sitting by the fire with a beer, or jumping in the hot tubs with a glass of wine, and eating a lot of food. We're really all about the food. It's just like our hashtag says, just bring your gear. So we've got the comfy beds and the warm showers, the delicious food, the ice-cold beer, and the North Georgia mountains literally right outside the Mulberry Gap gates. Folks just need to show up. And everyone's welcome, but right now we're looking especially hard at folks from Michigan and Minnesota and New England in that whole northern tier. If you're going to feel the need to break away from scraping your car every morning and putting in all your miles on the trainer, come down and see us in what we call winter, but you definitely wouldn't. Because it's the quiet time of year, it's a great deal as well. In January and February, you can use the codes WINTER20, WINTER30, and WINTER40 to take 20%, 30%, or 40% off your cabin or campsite stays of two, three, or four nights. So there's no reason to miss out. Check out mulberrygap.com, and just don't forget about codes WINTER20, WINTER30, or WINTER40 when you make plans to come see us in January or February. Tori, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that great information with my audience today. Listeners, if you would like to check out Mulberry Gap and maybe book a stay, head over to mulberrygap.com. And as their hashtag says, just bring your gear. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. That is it. Thank you again to all the supporters that made this episode possible. And thank you so much to the Lechugas for hosting this event. They even uh, put me up in one of their beautiful rooms, which I highly recommend that you check out. And just one note, this was our first time ever doing a live event or trying to record one. And so there were some editing challenges, but I want to give a big thanks to our editor, Ben Cranel. He did an excellent job. So big kudos to Ben for taking on this challenge. And again, thank you to all the panelists and Lily for sharing the stage. And without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself.
You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. whether we would have 10 or, or this. It was no RSVP, so we were just like, we're gonna just swing this. And um, thank you so much for being here. It means the world to us. I'm Scotty. This is our place, Natural State Rocker Republic. Yeah! And we love cycling, and I assume you do too. That's why you're here. So we're gonna share some really cool stories with you tonight about how cycling has transformed us as riders and um, just really hope to connect with you all and build the community through that effort. I'm just gonna get right to it. This lady here is pretty special. She's a part of Ozark Gravel Cyclists, which a lot of you know and love. This is a community that they have built through social media, through hosting gravel rides here in Northwest Arkansas. They've built something really special and that is their main goal is to build community through cycling. So Lily is gonna be our moderator. I'm gonna go ahead and ask everybody that's on the panel if you'll make your way up, and Lily will take it from here. So panelists. Thank you guys so much for coming. Like Scotty said, this is more than what we expected, so this is great. Again, thank you so much for coming. My name is Lily. I'm half of Ozark Gravel Cyclist. We found out last night that Patrick was coming over also, and so Patrick is going to be up here with me. We are super excited about this. Um, I wanted to start off first by just giving a round of applause to everybody that's sitting next to me, right? <laughs> They at least rode 240 miles of the Arkansas high country, so if not the whole thing. They deserve so much recognition for even just starting to tackle that for all the preparation that's gone into it. A couple of them have done it numerous times, and so that just deserves a round of applause. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to start with introductions. So we're gonna go down the line. I want to start with your name, where you live, what route you rode, whether it was the short circuit or the entire route, and I want you to finish the sentence. I am the one that. Okay? So your name, where you live right now, or where you call home right now, the route that you rode, and then finishing my sentence. I am the one that. Do you guys know who Patrick is? Patrick has a podcast, if anyone's heard of it, it's called Bikes or Death. Just a little podcast. If you haven't heard of it, I would highly suggest checking it out because it really is pretty entertaining. So last night I was sitting on my couch drinking and uh, scrolling on Instagram and this popped up in my story feed and I was like, you know what, I really want to go. And so I texted Scotty and I was like, I think I'm going to come. She said, you should. <laughs> so this morning I woke up a little hungover and I remembered that whole conversation and I threw a bunch of shit in my van. I drove nine hours and here I am. Yes. I call it endurance podcasting. Look it up. I just made it up. 
He's the type of guy that when he shows up, you let him sit in. So <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be here. I was just going to record it and sit back and enjoy it. But Scotty broke me in. So I'm happy yeah. to be here. I'm the one that fucking drove nine hours to be here. <laughs> Sorry for the cussing. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm Scotty Lechuga. I am now a native of Springdale. You're in my house. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did the long course. And I'm the one who birthed twins and never thought I would be in this moment right now. Dang. <laughs> All right. I am. <laughs> Follow up. <laughs> I am Andrew Onerma. I live in Oark, Arkansas now, which is the best place in Arkansas. And I am the one that cried on camera eating McDonald's. <laughs> That's My name is Derek Henderson. I live in Harrison. I'm about 20 minutes from the Buffalo, so I ride those routes quite a bit. I did the short loop, and I guess I'm known for the guy that had catfish and Red Bull at Marble. <laughs> I am Dylan Morton. I live in Bella Vista right now. I did the long loop, the thousand mile loop, as an ITT, and I'm the one that is surrounded by a lot of my friends right now. And Aww. I think that's really cool, because I'm like, oh, hey, you're getting together all my friends. Thanks. <laughs> that was so cute. My name is Lindsay Shepard. I'm based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I did the long loop, clockwise, single speed. And I'm the one that got ambushed by tweakers at 12.30 in the morning in the aptly named Shady Arkansas. I'll tell you that story. I'm Seth Wood. Um, I'm from Stillwater, Oklahoma. This year I did the long loop, clockwise, single speed. And I am the one that got all his gear soaking wet three nights before I was done. And so I got my first experience sleeping in a soaking wet sleepy bag. It wasn't great. And I'm also the one that belongs to that beautiful family in the corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I am Ernie Lechuga, uh, and I'm welcome to our house. And <laughs> I did. I started the long course, and I'm the one that married that beautiful girl that just won the high country. <laughs> I'm Zach McCool. Um, I live in Bentonville, Arkansas. I did the long course with single track options, and I'm the one that was the first one ever to do that. Awesome. You guys got kind of cute. That was surprising. <laughs> oh, you want to start? Yeah. yeah. Okay, my first question is for Ernie. Woo, pass that mic down while I'm asking <laughs> it. All the way back down to Ernie. So, Ernie, y'all... And by y'all, I mean you and your beautiful wife that you just referenced here. I don't know why I'm sitting next to her and you're not, but here we are. I try to stay away <laughs> as much as I can. Okay. <laughs> y'all raced together enough, huh? Maybe that's the answer to the question. So y'all have raced this uh, route twice together, setting an FKT twice each time. Why this year did y'all decide to race individually? 
It was uh, it was Scotty's idea all along. Uh, the only reason that we got into this madness of uh, <laughs> endurance racing uh, is to find out how tough we were, right? So I kind of married into it. <laughs> like I didn't want to be tough. She made me. I didn't want to be tough. Like I, I didn't want to be tough. I, I thought I was tough. I don't want to be tough. So, yeah. So essentially, you would have preferred to ride with her, and she made you ride solo. She did. It was like that next step. <laughs> and if I, yeah, right. So, um, and I always tell her, like, if you sign up for anything, please sign me up, even if I say no, because I know I'm gonna regret it. Yeah. So. Yeah, you don't want to be at home on the couch watching your beautiful wife go out there and like kick it in the teeth, and you're no. like at home. Not at all. That's not cool. Instead, so, you would rather watch it from a hospital bed. Yeah, that, oh. exactly. <laughs> at least I tried. <laughs> no. You did try. I did try. So you did have to drop out in dramatic fashion. And honestly, I'm, I think everybody here is really grateful that you are okay, uh, as much as I like to joke. But... Um, <laughs> You know, tell us, tell us what happened and, uh, yeah, tell us what happened. Yeah. So, um, I started off the day and it was, uh, like any other, uh, adventure race that we start. I cramped the first day and I have no idea why, right? I think it's because I get, I'm, I get nervous and I just want to get out there. I don't really want to be out there that much sometimes. So my body's like, what are you doing out here? Like, I'm going to make you cramp so you can quit. And it's like, no, you're not. So I have this battle in my head. And then I cramp, and then when Scotty's around, everything seems to go away. This time she wasn't around, and the cramps did not go away. So I dealt with cramps from like hour eight, or probably it was about 12 hours of cramping. And, uh, you know, I didn't take care of my body the way I was supposed to take care of my body. Two weeks before, um, I wasn't hydrating properly, just super busy, all my fault. So when I got... You know, when I was cramping for 12 hours straight, I was like, all right, I need to go to the ER and get some, some IV fluids. So I went to the ER room to get some IV fluids and, you know, whatever else they put in there so they can make your cramps go away. I got my first IV fluid and everything was great. Um, nurses were really happy. You know, they're like, hey, we're going to give you one more bag and you can be on your way. But the doctor, the ER doctor that was, uh, you know, on call that day, he came in with this like, Scared look on his face is like, hey, you're not going anywhere. Like, your kidneys are about to shut down. So, like, I, I can't even keep you here because I don't have, I was in Mount Ida. Uh, and I, I don't have, Mountain View, Mountain View sorry, Mountain View. Um, and I don't have a way to take care of you here if your kidneys do go into failure. So, we're going to have to send you somewhere else. So, I got sent to Little Rock. Um, and I spent eight hours in Little Rock getting seven IVs. So... He scared me because he told me, hey, if you want to keep on racing, you're either going to have a heart attack or you're going to have dialysis. I was like, well, I don't want either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't feel that bad, but, you know, you got to trust the professionals. That was the Man. story. Yeah, that was heavy. Happened. Sorry, I kind of got sucked was, into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> y'all are the cutest damn couple in cycling. I want to nominate y'all for that at least. <laughs> So what's, uh, what's next, Ernie? Are you going to give it another shot? What are you thinking? Definitely going to give it another shot. But what's next is uh, another crazy adventure with Scotty. Mm -hmm. 
जो है एक्चुअली शीज साइंड अप फॉर द फैट प्रसूट इफ यू गैट डोंट नो दिस इज इन आई हो it's uh it's a hunt. it's not that long but we're in sub zero degree weather so we're going to go uh i've told kadi that i was scared of being cold so she signed us up for this one race face your fears learn to be cold we're, so we're facing our fears better y'all than me and like i said yeah so i'm not i'm not i'm good at telling her what i'm afraid of and she's really good at signing me up signing me up for to conquer my fears so i love that about her yeah Y'all are awesome. All right, Scotty, your turn. First off, overall Arkansas High Country winner and new women's FKT holder, Hala. As your friend and as a enthusiast of this sport, I damn near cried whenever you won. It was pretty awesome. I think uh I think a lot of people felt that way. I also want to say after we did our we, we just recorded a podcast. So mostly it was Scotty Ernie jumped in for a hot minute too. But I did. I wanted you in there. Definitely worth checking uh that one out. So I want to ask you a couple different questions since I already had you on, you know, for a good hour and a half there. What did you learn about yourself by tackling this route solo and coming out on top of the entire field? That's a deep question. Yeah, well, you won, so you got to answer the tough questions. Yeah. Um So, I went into this race without thinking about winning. I feel like I should start with that. Um That wasn't even on my mind. And I think that answers his first question. I went to find out more about me out there, and when we have each other, Ernie and I have always kind of leaned on each other for emotional support. We're partners, you know. It's great that Ernie can fix anything, right? So, I except for his <laughs> kidneys. <laughs> But um Ernie can fix anything and I've always had peace of mind with him as my partner knowing like if I do something to my bike, Ernie'll fix it, right? And so I knew that going into this oh, wow. challenge, I don't know nearly as much about mechanics as he does. And that it would be really important that if something did happen, I would have to practice a lot of patience with myself because I get really flustered in those moments. You know, you have this sense of urgency when you're racing that you're in the middle of this moment where you need to press forward and you need to save time and so you're always thinking about multitasking and all these things and for sure something will happen out there that sets you back. Um you'll have a plan and that's great but it won't go that way. And so in doing this by myself, I literally set out with the intent to be patient with myself. And I know that sounds very simple, but I'm not the most patient person. I've I have a history of being very hard on myself. I'm really self-critical. That's hurt me, especially in my former career as a professional road cyclist. I was just very um mentally hard on myself. And so the whole reason I tackled this thing solo is so I could figure those things out. Ernie's been a great coach and I've loved every pairs race that we've done together. I've grown a lot, but this was like the ultimate test of self. Like can I dig myself out of those holes for me with me by myself? And you did. Got there. Yeah. 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 So, uh, another follow-up to our our conversation that we just had. I think it was the last episode that was released actually, <laughs> so it's pretty topical. Um but we're going to just follow up on that. Okay. <laughs> your story going from road cycling wanting to be an athlete and then finding your way into ultra cycling and and bike packing is fascinating 
And I'm wondering what, what the bikepacking community or what ultra endurance cycling unlocked for you that road cycling never did. Freedom. 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 And by freedom, I mean bikepacking evokes a sense of self-independence. Um, it evokes a sense of freedom. You're out there by yourself, with yourself, or maybe with your partner, but still it's it's just you. And in road cycling, you have a, a team of people that take care of you. You have a massage therapist. You have you know, your team director, you have a mechanic and they take care of everything for you. And so I went from this lifestyle of being very pampered to being completely just in the dark by myself. And those two extremes, I feel like have taught me so much. Um, I mean, yeah, the journey from road to bikepacking for me was not only like Ernie said, learning to be mentally tough, but um, to explore what it felt like to let go of performance, to let go of podiums, to let go of winning. It was more about, okay, what is this doing for me? And then when it does teach me something, how can I give it back to, to the people that I love and to the people that are sharing in this experience? And so um, road cycling for me was a bit selfish. I thought a lot about myself. Um, and I feel like bikepacking is so much more of a community-driven sport. It is we look out for each other, we share our stories, we we open our arms. And so it's been really refreshing to me to kind of let go of performance and just focus more on the growth of it all. Amen. And you practice what you preach. I mean, right here we're sitting in your house. This is a passion of y'all's and you're you're open not only with your home but with your experiences and we all are a benefactor of that. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, your turn. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that you're wearing your belt. I like that. This will maybe be the only time that I will wear my belt. <laughs> but I figured if not tonight, then when? Right? <laughs> I want to talk to Derek next. I want to tell a little story about Derek, too. So this past year for Mid-South, if anyone knew about what happened with Mid-South, they called it off. They made it socially distanced. A lot of um, They had, like, affiliate bike shops that were given routes or made routes or whatever. Anyway, OGC made a route and me and four of my girlfriends made it our big goal to do the 50. And midway through the 50, one of them got a flat tire and we went through like three different tubes trying to fix this flat tire. And right when we're about to give up, here comes Derek <laughs> and two of his friends riding down the road the opposite way. They saw us leaving and had accidentally downloaded the route backwards and we're trying to find us. And they were like, man, these girls are cooking. They're really like, they're way up there. Where are we going to find them? And we're riding against each other. But he rolls up on us with his two homies. And they ended up saving the day. We had like run out of tubes at that point and just couldn't, couldn't figure out what was up. And, and he was like, I've always wanted to be a trail angel. This is amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, man, today's your lucky day because we're about to like call somebody. And I was bummed and like really happy to be here yeah <laughs> the nicest guy so um and even though I'm saying like we were riding mid-south you you just kind of showed up that day to have fun you weren't even really like you were I think we're riding with Lath and mm, yeah yeah just so a bunch of knuckleheads and we were just yeah having fun yeah because this was your first race yeah 
Yeah. So wild. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're the only one sitting up here that did the short circuit. So that's that's pretty cool. What was that like? choosing a 240 mile race to be your first race well first of all like everyone has said this community is just everyone is just so connected and they it's you know you feel a part of it even from a distance in from instagram or whatever and so i followed along because it's like ozark gravel like that's where i live like i'm gonna follow and uh hey these folks are cool. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the longest route I'd ever done prior to, um, high country was a hundred miles. So really for me, I've got, I'm married with three kids and I just get out and try to do 30, 40 mile rides a couple, you know, days a week. And, and I, it really was this guy. And I know, you know, bikes or death, um, that podcast talked about this. We were all just when Andrew did that and he, uh, posted his story I mean I was sitting there crying watching it <laughs> and I was like I want to be a part of that yeah. so when they said they were going to do a short loop I was like okay I th I'm not ready for the thousand miler yeah it's um, a stepping stone but I think I could do that and so I signed up for that um for the 250 miles and I guess that was what maybe I don't know how long before the race but I just kept doing the 30 40 mile rides twice a week and then maybe a longer ride on the weekends. And then as it led up through the summer, I just kept like pushing and going further. And um, so I had prepped physically, but there's still that piece in the back of your mind. Um, that's a long way. <laughs> if, I've <Yeah>. only, <laughs> if I've only done a hundred miles, yeah. that's more than double. Yeah. Um, so there was that piece of it for sure. But again, Andrew, I mean, He's like a brother. I don't, I'm just, you know, early on in the race, he's like, you're not sleeping tonight. Cause I had, so my wife, she was like, please, Derek, take your camping gear. You've got to sleep. <laughs> so the funny, I had all my camping gear in the back of my bag. And when I first saw Andrew, he's like, you're not sleeping tonight. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're funny, Andrew, but I, I have to sleep tonight. Um, and he kept saying that, like, 40 miles he said it, 80 miles he said it. And then, like, Kingston, I was feeling fantastic, and I'm like, no, I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, I think that was, for me, being the one that did the short loop and really being the beginner, I think more than anything, I mean, prep physically, but it's just mentally believing in yourself and... Mm -hmm getting over that and staying positive and throughout the whole thing I just was like having fun yeah <laughs> and granted I didn't have any like mechanical issues I got really lucky on a lot of a lot of things and uh yeah so um I guess that's my story just stayed mentally positive and had fun and then once I got to a point where I was like honestly from Marvel when I had the catfish and the Red Bull <laughs> like it took me to like the next level <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm going. <laughs> Which, by the way, from Marvel to, to Eureka is some of the toughest climbs through there. And that Red Bull was just carrying me over those climbs. <laughs> it gave me wings. Yeah, this, I'm hoping to get a sponsorship tonight. Thank you. But, um, 
but no, so, and then by the, but, but by the time I got to Eureka, I was like, I'm not going to sleep and I'm just going to keep going. And shout out to Matt Klein. He, um, he and I rode in together and that dude, like, and that's another thing going back to full circle. And I'm talking a lot. This is the only time I'm talking, by the way, I'm, <laughs> I'm done after this, but the community, like Matt too, is following from a distance, right? He's from Colorado. And so, um, he grabbed onto the community and, and we rode so many miles together that like, that's the thing you, you suffer with someone like that. You're just, you're bonded with people, you know, like, and you know, it can get really emotional about just like, you know, this is, this is fun, you know, to, to connect with people. And when you're on a bike and you're grinding up a climb, you're talking about all kinds of stuff, you know, and like get to know these people, you know, through and through versus like, you know, in other forms of cycling or other sports, it's so transactional, it's quick, it's, but gravel, you're just out in the middle of nowhere, just bonding. So <laughs> shout out to Matt. And, um, yeah, so that's, uh, I'm the beginner that did it 250 and yeah. I want to try to do maybe longer next year. I don't know. For yeah. sure. I do actually. I'm not going to say <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> I was about to say, we, we know you're going to. <laughs> Derek, appreciate that, man. As a father myself, I always love to hear about other dads going out and doing. And no joke, uh, you know, 250 miles on a bike on these hills is a real accomplishment. And sometimes we like gloss it over, like for the thousand miles or whatever. But man, whenever you got three kids and a job and you're trying to keep up your family and everything, but you want to be a part of the community, yeah. So my hats off. I appreciate your experience, man. And uh, Andrew, newly appointed Arkansas High Country Director. Holla. I called you, I wrote all my notes here, Mr. Ozark. <laughs> yeah, it's like a homecoming, a homecoming designation. But man, like for real, you've, you've really put your heart and soul into helping to grow and foster a community. Part of it's here, part of it you're growing. You're listening to this gentleman next to you talk about, you know, seeing you and the influence you've had on him. And you've influenced a lot of us, you know, like... What does it mean to you to be the new director of the Arkansas High Country? It's surreal, honestly. Like, I'm still trying to process it. When Chuck said that to me, even just assistant director, I was like, really? Like, because when I first finished the route, and I know I've talked about this in the past, I emailed Chuck. I was like, this thing's a masterpiece. Please tell me what I can do to help out with getting more people on this route. And he had an idea of, oh, I want to form some kind of board and be able to update people on closures, reroutes, stuff like that. And I said, that sounds awesome, but then life gets busy. You don't really know. Um, I don't know. It's I moved back to this state because of a documentary I saw of Ernie and Scotty on Aww, YouTube. I know that. So I was sitting in a ski shack in Utah Powder day, everyone's rejoicing, and I started really getting into bikes, and I'm watching on my phone a documentary about the high country, and someone comes in the shack, they're like, what the hell are you doing, man? It's like the best powder day ever. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm it's like watching this drone footage of like these people going really slow up a gravel hill. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Childs, he did the... Yeah, he did that, right? So I knew yeah. him through the climbing community cool. in Little Rock. And 
I remember climbing in Arkansas and all these places it took you and the roads where you just had to launch out for hours to get to some crag and then nobody's there and it's like the most special experience ever. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, man, riding a bike on that stuff would be really damn cool. And then, uh, yeah, fast forward to now, I've done the route once. Jesse, he got me on it the first time. I didn't feel ready for it. But he's just like, whatever, dude, we got this. And it's the same thing. It's like, Jesse's an awesome mechanic. He knows how to fix everything. Like, there's no way in hell I would have gone and done it myself. But he gave me the courage. He's like, okay, like, I know I can keep up physically. But if something breaks, like, my brakes were gone. Talking about braking, we were literally going down hills with my hand on his back next to him, and he was controlling the braking for both of us. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a deep history on this route. So halfway through, we split ways. He had to get back to work. I did the second half by myself, and that was really an eye-opening experience. And then I had zero intentions to do the race the next year. And then it's like a month out. There was just like a girl I was dating at the time, and she's like, this is like all you do is ride bikes and talk about the Arkansas high country. Why are you not doing the race? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you kind of have a good point. And it was, <laughs> I don't know. I was, it was the same thing where I was going to be sitting on a couch thinking, what if I went out there and tried? And so it was a lot of working up the courage because that was going to be my first gravel race, my first ultra distance anything. And I just had an awesome community here. People were like, yeah, you, you can do it. Like stop doubting yourself. And so they even made a shirt. They had a shirt of me finishing over the summer with me just looking awful, shirt off, chugging a big water. And uh, yeah, they, they hyped me up. And I was already terrified because like I, I had met Dylan earlier and he has so much experience. I'm like, man, someone like Dylan, he's, he's ready to go do this. And there's Jesse out from Oregon. And so I was already worried. And then, of course, it's last minute. Ted King signs up. And so I go, I just like, I give it my all. And it ends up being like the best experience of my life. And ever since that, like, it's all I can think about. So race director, it's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, for sure. Well, congrats, man. I think it's well-deserved. <laughs> and that's why right there, man, this... You're all heart, my dude. You, you lead with your heart, you know. We appreciate that. Any goals with the race? I mean, I know it's kind of fresh, but, I mean, any, anything that you want to announce, like, yeah, that might be so, changing? or uh, With Jack Lope, this is Johnny Brazil over here. If you guys haven't met Johnny, uh, we have a bike shop down in Russellville. And so Northwest Arkansas gets all this hype all the time because it's the mecca of Arkansas as far as cyclists population but there's some really driven people down in Russellville to make a difference in the River Valley area and so we're thrilled because we both go out and we'll we'll ride for 24 hours straight do these crazy routes we get deep in the Ozarks where it's like super messed up so we're just excited to keep amping up the bike packing and endurance community and one of the biggest things is so next year the short circuit is 500 miles. That's a lot longer than what it was this year. So already it kind of makes people that are on the fence, they're like, I don't know, that's that's already doing half the route. Maybe I don't want to do it. Uh, there you go, Derek. You are doing more next year. <laughs> Surprise, Derek. You have to. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but that's like, why Andrew's like, you are doing more next year. Uh, but the thing is, we don't want to. But the thing is, we didn't want it to just be either you're doing a thousand or doing five hundred. That's your two options. Because we loved how many people dabbled into this community and that kind of experience through that 250, 240 mile distance. So Johnny and I and Chuck, we've all been scratching our heads like what can we do for maybe a third distance option. So I'm not going to reveal too much yet because it's not 100% set, but anticipate a lot more single track for that third distance option. Ooh, nice foreshadowing. Nice foreshadowing. Anything else you want to announce or is that, uh, is that the only taste we're going to get? That's really it. I'm going to give it a rip uh, as an ITT at some point in 2022. So I'm excited to keep riding this route too. So. Yeah, that was, my, that was my last question was like, how was it for you to be a, a spectator? And I guess kind of like entry into a race, race director of this event rather than actually participating. Yeah, it's. Uh, I got really fortunate with Chuck. Just he has... He's so organized, it's incredible. He gave me a, a thumb drive. He still uses thumb drives. And <laughs> but there's a million different folders. And within each folder, there's folders. And it's like, here's the budget. Here's the insurance. Here is uh, the reroutes. Here's everything. And he doesn't want to just step away immediately. So even this next year, is it's a transition year. And he's still overseeing everything. And he's like passing it off to Johnny and I to make sure that we're not just left out in the dark to figure it out ourselves. Oh, for sure. And so he he really wants to see it continue to grow, and he has a lot of faith in like basically what Jackalope Cycling is going to do for it. Yeah, so that process, at first it was a lot, but I'm already a lot more comfortable with it, just talking to Chuck more. And then Johnny's so fired up about it. Johnny's not like, oh, we're going to, this is an event, we're going to make money. It's no like, we're just going to throw an awesome event and try to get people from all over to experience right Arkansas riding. Um, and then not racing it, it was, it was really exciting because I did get a, I was driving around. I, the first 30 miles I rode my bike and just chatted with different groups along the way. So I was like, where are you guys visiting from? Where are you from? So I met so many people in the first 30 miles, and then I just rode, rode back to Fayetteville. Uh, but then I started driving around, and I made sure to keep pestering Derek that he wasn't going to sleep. Uh, <laughs> and then I would just see uh, people shattered down in the, the Washita's near Poto Mountain. And uh, it, was, it was just really cool to be on that outside view because I know what they're going through and be like, hey, you got this. It's like, because you really do. And sometimes you just have to have that confirmation. I mean, you're the guy that cried while eating McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. Like, if the guy that cried while that. eating McDonald's yeah. comes up to you and says, you can do it, <laughs> you got to believe yeah. him. The McDonald's is really far away from there. Yeah, you got to uh, go a long ways before you get to cry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was really cool to see that. And I think ultimately my experience with the high country is going to, it was transitioning towards it needs to be a very on my own experience. So I think it's just perfect that I'll go do it as an ITT whenever I feel ready. And maybe I do something really awesome or maybe I just learn some more. And then the next year I try it again. I think no matter what, I'm going to be like 70 years old, like Chuck Lee. And I'm going to be like, well, this is my 26th time to do it. And <laughs> you know what? It's still good. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> they pay some roads and that really sucks. But <laughs> otherwise, it's really good. Yeah. 
Right on, dude. Well, congrats again. Thank you. Seth. Yes, you're next, Seth. All right. We just met. I'm so happy that you drove over. I know you and Patrick know each other pretty well. Yeah, but it was really great to have you. This was your second year doing the high country, correct? That's correct, yes. Yes, I did it last year. So I've, I've... I've worked crew on some pretty big races. I've been around, obviously, some people that have done some really cool things. And often the thing that I hear when you're done is like, I am never, ever doing that again. Right? So, yes. And I said that out loud <laughs> right? numerous times yeah. after doing this race last year. So, yeah, no, I'm, I was with that yeah. for a while. Why but, did you, what made you want to do it again? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it is the, uh, I don't know, anxiety of being a spectator once you've been a participant. I think it's actually kind of hard to shift back to that. Um, like, for instance, the first ultra bikepacking event I did was the Tour Divide. And when, then I, when I wasn't doing it the following summer, it was actually very painful to watch track leaders and to watch the dots go down and to not be doing it. So I think I was kind of nervous about not doing it, frankly. Mm-hmm. That was a part of it. Um, I had also just kind of received some news about my personal health like very shortly before doing it last year um, that required some pretty major adjustments in my lifestyle and so when I took on the ride last year I was kind of doing it knowing I was kind of taking a risk and not really sure I could ultra race anymore like not even sure I would actually kind of withstand it Mm -hmm. and so I was kind of riding it a little bit carefully you know like I brought my aeropress you know like just in case I had to sit somewhere for like two days like I had my aeropress with me and my dangle mug you know I mean I had all the things um last year I was ready to get real comfortable if I had to I think it's a titanium mug that you dangle from a your uh you know seat bag with a it's considered not dangle very mug racy. Ernie come on I didn't know if you, okay yeah, I didn't know if you knew that um but um so yeah anyway like I I don't feel like I kind of I didn't really go for it I guess is what I'm saying I kind of wrote it kind of trying to finish it and to see if I could kind of get it done and I did and I was very happy to do that um and this year I kind of wanted to sort of test myself and like push myself and I had a time goal in mind I wanted to take a day off my previous time my goal was six and a half days and I was making good on that for three days four days something like that yeah I was succeeding and then and then I wasn't (laughs) <laughs> and then it became a different story. Um, it became a kind of a test of survival more than like meeting your goals, which is kind of harder, I think, is to kind of readjust your plan mid-ride and finish something that didn't go the way you meant it to. So I don't know. I just, I felt like I wasn't done with it. I felt like I hadn't really given it my all. And that's what I tried to do. This yeah. Year. Well, and that was going to be part of my second question is like doing it back to back. Then do you have different goals? Is it like, what was your goal this time? But you kind of yeah, answered six that. and a half days. So I finished in seven days and 12 hours and like an hour. So it was mm-hmm. almost exactly seven and a half days last year. And I wanted to take a day off that time. I just felt like I could um, yeah. just kind of thinking about the decisions I made and where I stopped and the way the ride went. I was like, I think I could take a day off that time. And so that was my goal. And yeah. I ended up coming in. I think I think like two hours over my previous time, so I yeah. didn't beat it. I actually went slower this time. Yeah, but then I mean, at the same time, then my third question is, <laughs> um, like, what challenged you this time that was different? But we had rain this year, so like that's why the weather was a big issue. And I mean, I think even when I interviewed with Patrick about the high country race, you know, I was talking about my time, and I was like, yeah, it was really great, but except. 
the weather was yeah. perfect. Like last year, the weather was literally perfect. perfect. I mean, and it was, and there was this awareness as I was going through the course that, man, if this were wet, this would be a very different, I mean, some of those roads are just riverbeds. They're not yeah. even roads. They're just riverbeds that you're walking in. And I was mm -hmm. looking around being like, if it were raining, you'd be in a river, like mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. um, not walking past it, but in it. Um, and it was, it was definitely challenging. Uh, dealing with moisture and water out there was hard. And I'm very grateful that the water levels were where they were because if there had been as high of a water table as there was last year and as much rain as we had this year, it would have been a whole different story again. So, yeah. Absolutely. But it was, the weather was a big deal. <laughs> um, I also feel like this year there was a lot more awareness on my part of what was going on with other riders. I, mm -hmm. I don't know really if that was intentional or I don't remember choosing that, but I just remember being aware of what was going on with like I knew what was going on with Ernie. I had heard about him via my cell phone and I don't know, social media and people texting me and I knew what was going on with Spencer near the end of the ride. And mm -hmm. that was actually really hard. It was actually kind of here hard to get that news of people having these struggling. Uh, yeah, yeah, struggling and like, you know, like dangerous experiences. And, you know, like that was stressful. It kind of made me, I don't know, for a while I got really caught up in thinking about the experiences other people were having before I was like, you can't do anything. <laughs> like you, you're falling apart yourself. You need to, you know, do something about that. So, I don't know, that was a big struggle this time around. It was something that I didn't even remember from last year. I don't remember even caring what was going on with it. I don't know, I didn't even yeah. know. I just was in my own head, I guess. But this year I was more aware of what was going on elsewhere in the course and that made it hard. Did you ever feel like, like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel again. that way every time I bike yeah. back. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a very, at least for me, maybe I'm just broken, but that, yeah. that's an integral part of all bikepacking experiences. Yeah. You get to some point where, like, what am I out here doing? Why am I making these choices? And you have to kind of find some reason. You have to find a rationale for yourself. I've kind of had a deflation like that, I think, on every major event I've ever taken on. But, yeah, this year it hit me hardest in Russellville, actually, and I would credit uh, Johnny Brazil over there for, I don't know, I was in a low place when I got to Russellville. Mm -hmm. I think exactly because I knew I could do what was between Russellville and the end. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like knowing, like kind of having a finite measure of what was between me and the You're end. You're like, I, I don't it. need to. I just kind of, <laughs> like, I don't know, my body was just contracting. You know what yeah. I mean? I was kind of coming out of that adrenaline-filled mode that you yeah. get in to push past the hard stuff. And that was the kind of the hardest moment. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I had a good Johnny fix my bike, which was in a really bad way when I got to Russellville, and that was a huge confidence boost when I sat on a bike that actually felt proper. I didn't even realize how bad my bike felt <laughs> until mm -hmm. I got on one that felt good, and that was really encouraging. And his daughter was at the shop, and I very awkwardly forced her to give me a hug because she reminded me of my little daughter over there. And I was like, hey, you look kind of like Jane. Come here and come here. Hug me, you know, like. I need to hug you. Yeah, you know, so um, I don't know. Like that uh, Russellville, I hit a real low point, and I kind of had yes. to. Uh, I cut that uh, night short. Um, you know, I got found a warm place to sleep and cut it a lot shorter that day than I meant to. And then, yeah, just kind of gutted it out the next day. But yeah, I had to, I had to convince myself to keep going in Russellville for sure. I mm -hmm. sat outside that Casey's for a long time. I didn't pay attention to how long, but mm -hmm. it was longer than you're supposed to to go fast for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, great job. Thank you. Yes. Patrick has a follow-up question. Oh, okay. So, sorry. His story, and if you would like to listen to our podcast that we did together, mostly to hear his story, I think it's definitely worth a listen. But your first time on the high country, your own physical ability, because of your health conditions, uh, was a concern. 
you weren't paying attention to any of the other riders, but this year, you know, how did that fare? And I'm wondering if the fact that you were more aware of what was going on outside of yourself, if, if, you know, if things were a little bit better for you. Because of my awareness of the other riders this year? Well, like, um, let me rephrase that question. <laughs> you had uh, question marks because of uh, he was hit by a guy driving a car and um, has ongoing medical issues as a result. So the first time you did the high country, that was a big concern of yours. You brought your espresso yeah, machine. Yeah, just to be really literal about it, I had a pretty massive head injury, I mean, years ago, eight, yeah. nine years ago now. I don't want to tell your story. Yeah. And then um, basically... Two years ago now, I guess. Two years ago? Is that when it was? We A year, a year and a half ago? Um, I had a massive seizure in the middle of the night. I had an off-the-grid cabin that we were vacationing in, and it was very terrifying. And because of the scar tissue that's built up in my brain, now I have epilepsy. Now I'm just prone to seizures, and you have to take medication for it. To, and you can manage this stuff, but it's kind of always a threat. I think the last nurse that I had likened it to having a wild stallion behind a cage in your brain. And I was like, yeah, I know. Right. I was like, I'm not sure I like that metaphor. Why don't you let the horse out? She's like, no, don't let the horse out. Like, I was like, yeah. And I was like, Can we change this analogy. Can we make like keeping a serial killer locked up or something that you want to keep locked up. But then that, that was disturbing too, thinking of having a serial killer in my brain. So anyway, that's what I, I mean. That I was, and when yeah. the race started last year, I was like two months after going on those. Yeah. Meds. This is on your on mind heavily. It's like yeah. a really, I don't know if anyone's ever been on, neurological medication but it's not I've been on lots of things and that was wild uh, that was quite a ride um, anyway uh, I was just getting used to that and now I just kind of feel more I don't know in control of that yeah. situation and I was racing like this year I was kind of going for it yeah I didn't know Brett Stepanek was going to be out there until the last minute but I've raced him before and he's he's not an easy person to race on a single speed bike so yeah once we were both there I kind of knew I was in for it so well, again, happy to see you happy and healthy on a bike. Yeah. Thanks, well, man. mostly happy. It sounds like <laughs> towards the end, it got a little rough. I mean, I hit a low point, but it ended well. Thanks mostly to this person right here. So Yeah. yeah. We can do Lindsay next. Yes. All right. Yeah. Skip around. Go, Lindsay. Lindsay, I learned yes. so much about you trying to come up with things to talk to you about. You have this is so impressive. You have the fastest female time for the longest bike packing race in the world. I wasn't sure if it was still the longest um, one. Amazing. There's, so they've got a new race up in Canada, the Trans Canada. I don't think they kicked off this last year because of COVID, but that will now be the longest bike packing race. So, so you're going to do that one. Got to get out there. <laughs> yeah. and do it. How? So I have 47 days written down. Is that how long it took you? Yeah, it did. 47 yep. days. 5,140 miles. Oh, wow. Yep. Dang. Okay. It does. It goes yeah. through Arkansas. Where yep. does it start? Where does it end? It Quick starts detour. in Port Orford. Or no, that's where it ends. It starts at Cape Lookout, North Carolina, which is on one of the little islands. So you actually start on the island, you get on a ferry, and they ferry you across. So that first couple miles when people are usually like, you know, you have the jitters and you're like, you know, trying to Let me go. Way around yeah. people, you're actually just on this boat, like looking at the islands pass by. <laughs> there are wild horses on some of the islands, so you're looking for the horses, and it's kind of like a chill way to yeah. dive in. And then it ends in Port Orford, Oregon, so you get to see both coasts. Dang. So I did. I ran crew for Ram this past year, 
but that's all supported. What you did is wild. So, I mean, you did the Utah Mixed Epic yep. right before, turned around, came over here, did the high country. Mm-hmm. I would love to know on, on a single speed. I know, yeah. Yeah, not only came over after the Utah Epic, but then did it on a single speed. It's- well, Arkansas experience during the American Trail Race, that first big one, um, yeah. is actually why I did it single speed. So during the American Trail Race, I broke my rear derailleur. <laughs> and it was slightly before Arkansas. So I ended up single speeding for eight days, part of that through the Ozarks. So I was like, you know, I know I can do it for several days. I know I can do it through the Ozarks. And then Brian pointed out that there was no women's single speed record. So I was like, I'll try and get the ladies on the board. And you're like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love. So that's incredible. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it wasn't necessarily like completely by choice, but like borderline forced. And then you're just kind of like, well, I'll do it. That's amazing. What do you think was unique? I mean, having all of those other experiences and having so much experience in general, I'd love to know what you think is unique about the high country race, comparatively speaking. That's a really good question and something I actually have not thought of. Um, One thing I can say that comes right to my mind is the community around this event. So out of all the events I've done, you know, usually there's no one at the finish mm-hmm. or maybe someone that's local that's, you know, agreed to pick me up and take me back to wherever I live. Um, but coming into the finish for this one, it's like there are folks out from town, there are other racers, there are people involved at the event, and it's just such a really cool experience. So I think the community around here is just fantastic. And that really is a huge part of the draw for this race for me, yeah. How did you hear about it? Um, two of my best friends live up in Bella Vista, and so they were like, you should do this race. Yeah. They know I do this type of stuff. And then also the uh, American Trail Race goes through OARC. Yeah. So stopping at the OARC store there, a lot of people thought I was part of this race. And they're like, oh, whoa, we thought everyone was all done already. <laughs> Are you the underdog? And I was like, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> but knowing that I get to go through OARC again, that's, yeah. that's a draw. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm doing the other race. <laughs> Did you find anything to be like exceptionally challenging or exceptionally like surprisingly easy? I'd love to hear either way. Um, So I guess it all comes down to everyone's got this different perspective based on how many events they've done and, you know, how many miles they've done of these types of races, where they've raced. So as you'd mentioned, I did the Utah Mixed Epic right before this. And I picked that event because it had the most challenging terrain of any events I've ever done. Like there was the first two and a half days, I walked my bike more hours than I rode it. Maybe you had the same experience, but (laughs) I knew it was going to be brutal. And I actually had done so many of these over the last eight years. I was kind of like losing, you know, interest. Like there was no more challenge, nothing else I could push myself for. So I thought I'll do something that's like super hard terrain. And then I'll follow it with doing single speed since I've never raced a full thing single speed on something that's more rideable terrain. So I did the epic, and when I was out there, a bunch of people said, oh, my God, no, Arkansas high country is, like, really hard terrain. Like, the roads are rutted out. It's super rocky, you know, like, super bad climbs. And so I came out here thinking, like, oh, shit. Here I thought I was going to, like, have this wind-down ride, and it's Mm -hmm. actually going to be really difficult, and I'm on single speed, and what am I doing? But it actually was, for me, the terrain was super rideable. Like, there's a lot of hills, but you just walk those. So. It was what I was initially expecting after that scare, and it was kind of like a really good experience for um, just kind of getting out there and really soaking up the landscape, because Arkansas is so gorgeous, Mm -hmm. out by myself. And being single speed, you know, whether you're riding, walking, or coasting, 
is dictated by whatever gearing you chose. So there's nothing you can really do to go faster except for maybe ride more hours. So like Scotty had mentioned, that sense of urgency, like for me, that was gone this race. Like I didn't feel like my brakes were too long. I didn't feel like I was sleeping too much because I was just kind of like, you know, you just go out and ride whatever yeah. you can do in yeah. this gear. And so it was just like a really zen experience. And for that reason, like one of my favorite events I've ever done was this one. I definitely want to come back. Yeah. I feel like this is worth saying. Um, a lot of people at the pre-race meeting were like, you going to go for the FKT and are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Well, this girl told me before the race, I hope you find what you're looking for out there. So that's what it's all about, right? And that stuck with me. And Good. it was really special. And I was like, Thank I like you. her. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear, you said something to your, I just put tweakers question mark on oh, my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I don't remember what day it was. I, I don't know, maybe six or maybe nah, probably like four or five. So it was before Hatfield, heading clockwise. So there's this lookout that's a selfie stop. And at the time I was riding um, back and forth with Kyle. Mm. And so we stopped at this overlook, took our selfies, and my phone died when he was taking a picture for me. And then I said, I'm going to ride down. There's a Baptist church down in this little town called Shady. I'm going to stop there, get water, plug in, and just like camp out back you know, there for the night. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right behind you. I'm going to hit a campground further down the road. So I'm like zipping down this hill. I hit Shady, hit the pavement. I can see the church. And then all of a sudden, these two bright lights, like floodlights, come out. They're like waving around in front of me. So I knew it wasn't a car, but it was like blinding me. So I quickly like slammed on the brakes, curved to the side, and then a woman jumped out in front of me. So I had to stop or hit her. So I stopped, and I got off my bike and put the bike in between myself and her. And the guy who was waving the lights around was like immediately launched into questioning, you know, like, who are you? What are you doing here? And this is like 12, 15 in the morning. So I'm terrified. And like, I've had very few experiences where I've been scared on these routes, even as a woman by myself. And I, I seriously thought like, as they were, they were both kind of looking around as they were asking me questions and waving the lights around and stuff. And I thought, this is where I die. Like, I seriously was that scared. And apparently they were looking for escapees, according to the guy. He said, there are escapees, you know, where have you been? What are you doing? The cops are looking in cars. We're checking out people. And I was just like, I, my mind's going to my helmet. And he asks all these questions rapidly, and he just stops. And I looked at him. I said, are you okay? <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, I, are, yeah, are, are you okay? And I was like, yes. And I looked at his lady, and I said, are you okay? And it turned into this very weird round of us asking each other if we're okay. So that was odd. And, you know, he's, he's still very tweaked out or acting odd. And his lady kept telling him, just let's go inside. She's fine. Let's just go inside. She's just riding her bike. And I was just like, yes, yes. And I realized my headlamp was on, so I like turned my headlamp off. I was like, sorry, that's in your face. And he said, I suppose an escapee wouldn't have a bright light like that. I was like, no, no, they wouldn't. And then I, he's asked me more questions. I'm trying to explain what the race is to him, you know, yeah. like not even knowing what I'm saying. I'm like, look at the tracker on this thing. Right. Look like, at these bags. Let me legitimize myself. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I realized my rear light was so flashing. So I was like, oh, let me turn that off. And he said, I suppose an escapee wouldn't have a flashing red light. And I was like, no, no, they wouldn't. You, you should go back inside. And that still wasn't, he said, you know, I, I was like, I need to get to, I just told him I need to get to Hatfield tonight. Is that what it's called, Hatfield? Yeah. yeah. I need to get to Hatfield tonight. And he's like, oh my God, Hatfield, that's so far away. I was like, yeah, I'm really tired. I need to get going. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, I'd feel better if you showed me a route. So I just pointed at the GPS and there's like, you know, this much of a line. I was like, there's the route. And he looks at it and he's like, all right, checks I out. feel better. Yeah, checks out. 
And All right, have a good night. <laughs> off they went, and I rode around the corner, and I turned my phone back on and plugged it into my battery charger, thinking, like, I need to, like, call the cops and tell them there's some guy out here stopping people because, you know, Kyle never came down the hill. So I was like, Kyle's going to run into them, and phone's dead. So I started riding. And right after that, there's, like, a dirt road, and you're on dirt till Hatfield, and it started downpouring. So I was like, well, I'm not going to stop now. So I just rode till 3.45, got to Hatfield, passed out in front of a church, got up at, like, 8 a.m., and had awesome breakfast at TJ's, and it was all better. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. What a great story. That was crazy. That's an epic, epic story. the best tweaker story ever. Yeah, for real. And I'm sure lots of people in Arkansas have lots of tweaker stories, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, woman to woman, you're super, super inspiring. And just your disposition of how you approached everything and how you, like, how everything played out, it's, it's really reassuring and like confidence building and just as a as someone who is soaking that up from you i just want to say you did a great job i appreciate that thank you absolutely absolutely um dylan you're next bruh so it's funny as i was like talking with people i was like what do you think would be a great question for dylan everyone's like well dylan's probably like the most experienced one here. And then when I talked to Dylan about Lindsay, <laughs> Dylan was like, Lindsay's definitely the most experienced one here. <laughs> he was like, it is not me. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Patrick thinks you should fight, but fight it out. <laughs> Leg wrestle. Yeah, yeah, Seth too. All three of y'all right now. Taking bets. <laughs> but you, I mean, you've done a, a lot of stuff too. You did the, the Utah Mixed Epic. You didn't race this year. But to, I mean, it doesn't, I think, take away. You did do an ITT this year. You just didn't do it at the same time that everyone else did. So whatever. Um, you did the Utah Mixed Epic. You've done Atlas. You've done Tour Divide. You ever sit on a single speed? Okay, I'm just going to put together what everyone just told me. So you ever stood on a single speed on a $50 bike on Mount Magazine? On purpose? purpose? (laughs) (laughs) Last year? When? Wow. So if anybody else wants to do that, it's 15 laps. (laughs) Hey, you have a mic. You have a mic. Thank I didn't you. shift a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you did it single speed? <laughs> I didn't know that about you. I mean, That's awesome. It's just a bike ride. Yeah, it's just a bike ride. We're I just, love that. We're honestly, all of us, like, we're just playing bikes. Yeah. Like it's, it's just a bike ride. Like, we're all playing bikes, and it's like, we've got all these stories. Like, we're just all playing on bikes. That's like what people tell me when I want to do a race that, like, Derek is, like, way more challenging than anything that I've done before. And they're like, you're just going for a bike ride. And I'm like, well, kind of. (laughs) So, I mean, with all the things that I've just listed off, I left off the Alexander, but you also did the Alexander. Um, And won that. Jeez, Dylan. We're such good friends, and (laughs) I'm learning so many things about you right now. I know, for real. I'm super happy that you moved back, because when we first met, you were in Colorado, and I spent many a night texting you. Telling you that you should move here. I did. <laughs> I was like, this is a good place. <laughs> so how did, I mean, kind of similar question to what I asked Lindsay. I'd love to know how the high country ranked for you with all of the other things that you've done. 
So whenever this race was like being planned, mm -hmm. I heard about it mm -hmm. and I was like, yes, like I'm so into this. I love riding here. And that's when I like lived in Arkansas previously. I just recently moved back. Um, and then it was held, they ended up holding it in the middle of summer and I was like, out, no. Like, I don't know if anyone's ridden in, yeah, it's like ridden in Arkansas in the summer, in the middle of summer, and I was just like, no, there's no way you're getting me multiple nights out there. Like, I will be made of ticks. Like, this would be bad. <laughs> I will be made of ticks. Um, so whenever it was, um, essentially it's, it was going to be um, held in October, I was like, in. Like, that's all, that's all you had to do. And then um, I, I ended up just like absolutely blowing my wheel apart on Poto Mountain. And it was like, you're like, I'm a mechanic. That's what I do by trade. So like, I love fixing things. That's why I love bikepacking. It's like, oh, it's just lots of problems to fix. Are we talking about when you did race last year? Or uh, we're talking about? Actually, the year previous. Like, okay. Actually during the race. Um, Got it. And then yes. like, broke the, broke the wheel and it was like, looked at it and I was like, oh, okay, that's done. That's easy. Like, I'm just not racing anymore. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so I came back and did an ITT because I had, like, literally 10 days off work. And I was like, oh, what should I do? I have time. And so I came and did an ITT. And, like, one thing that always drew me back to Arkansas and what makes me enjoy racing here and, like, doing everything else that I've done. And I don't want to sound, like, romanticizing Arkansas, but... I feel like I'm riding at home here. Like, it feels good riding here. It feels like soulful riding. I enjoy every different style of riding here. Like, I've ridden road bikes around here, mountain bikes and gravel bikes. Like, I enjoy riding here. And everywhere else, like, there are some amazing views in all these different places I've been and, like, so many interesting things. But when I come and ride in Arkansas, I can do a 20-mile ride or a 200-mile ride or a 2,000-mile ride. It doesn't matter. It's like, this area just feels so, like, accepting and homely and mm. nice and you get some like really weird crazy things that happen to you but <laughs> at the same time like yeah. there are so many people that will like pull over on the side of the road and like are you okay are you sure you okay and I've like met some of my like best friends here and like I would ask people to but like don't but like the majority of the people in this room like I have like individual like good memories and stories with all these people in this room like a lot of people here. So mm -hmm. that feels really good to be back in this area. Mm -hmm. So what was your goal, I guess, for your ITT was to finish? Honestly, it was like, ah, oh, I broke my wheel last time. I just need to come ride it. I literally had about 36 hours from realizing I had 10 days off to mm -hmm. being at the start line. Like I, I showed up at Andrew's apartment at like three in the morning and I started at nine in the morning or something like that. Was and weird. Yeah, yeah, I was just... <laughs> I was like, I'll start around nine. And then it was like, oh, I forgot. I need to get some food. Like, I need to use the bathroom. Like, we'll get yeah. up there. It's like, it's ITT. It doesn't matter. I can start at 10 a.m. Yeah. I'm going to be sleepy the whole time. Like, yeah. I got it six hours of sleep in the back of my truck, and it was like 30 degrees. Um, it, it's just a case of, I don't know, this, this place is really nice. And as soon as I realized I had time to do it, I was like, oh, I can do that route that I've been wanting to do since... 2017 or 18, whenever, honestly, a couple of friends over there would probably know when, 18? Yeah, like 2018 is when I like first was like, oh, hey, they're making this like Arkansas high country loop. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I would love to do that. Like, I've just wanted to do that ever since then. And like, it's honestly like probably the first 200 miles and last two, 
first and two last 200 when it started in Fayetteville, it's like, I don't need a map. Like, <laughs> I know all those roads. And then like going through all those other sections, like, oh yeah, this is pretty familiar too. Like, this isn't, it's not too confusing. It's Arkansas, it's great. Yeah, did you ever get like that feeling that Seth was talking about while watching everyone race? Were you like, oh, I should have done it again? Uh, this year? Yeah. Oh, I like, I had already told myself, I did the same race that Lindsay did, uh, the Utah Makes Epic, mm -hmm. and it's two weeks before this race. You won that, right? Yeah. Okay, just, just, just want to throw that out there. <laughs> um, but like that, like she said, that's like one of the most challenging races I like am aware of, at least in like, you know, short amount of time, mm -hmm. thousand miles. But um, it was definitely one where I was just like, nah, that's that's silly. Like I would not go do another thousand mile race. Like my body's not ready for it. My mind's not ready. Who for would it. do that? Yeah. Who would do that? Who in their who in their right mind would ever think about doing yeah, that? Single speed. So yeah. like honestly, whenever like I realized like Lindsay was racing, it, I was like, ah, uh, I, I could have done that. Yeah, but like I, it's also like. I'm a mechanic. I like working bike shops. And like, honestly, something else that's really dear to my heart is there are a lot of people that did the short loop or the long loop or people that just came into my bike shop and were asking me questions about it. I'm like, I have something to give you. Like I have either information or just like some last minute anything. If I can help you, like I would love to. And like kind of the same thing, like this year's starting hot springs. Like the thing I'm excited about is like people are going to be broken down the middle of the route going by my bike shop that I work at. And I'm like, oh, hey yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm going to give everyone my phone number. It's like, you wake me up at 2 a.m., whatever you need. You just lay over there, and I'm going to, like, you know, give you french fries, and I'll fix your bike. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> drop you, them you, into you your mouth. You can eat McDonald's. You can cry. And, like, I'm, I'm going to... Hug it out. Yeah, and you'll be like, oh, I can't go. It's like, I will rebuild your bike from yes. scratch. Like, I will re... I'll do everything. Um, yes. More problems to solve. Yeah, I just love it. And like, yeah, I won't, I mean, that's easy too. You're just like, it's a different endurance event. I've like stayed up a lot of late hours like working on people's bikes so they can go race it. It's like, yeah, I'm excited to do that. Like, and that's the community. Like, I would absolutely do that. I've worked in like other places and done shops and you're just like, oh, working on your bike. Yeah, you want it tomorrow. Great. But like here, I'm just like, please, can I? Because I want you to be able to go do this. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what do you, I, that kind of just made me think of a, another random question. What would you say as someone who is depleted with a broken bike in the middle of doing this very epic journey, what does that person need? Like from an outsider, if you stumble upon a bike shop and what do you want this person to be giving you? I probably am like, where's an electrical outlet? Where's your dryer? Where's some food? Can my bike be better and me not make any decisions, just make it better? And like, stop talking to me, let me sleep. <laughs> because like, I, I mean, like, I mean, like these people. Yeah. yeah. You're just so drained, I guess, at that Yeah, point. it's like, I absolutely want to talk to everyone and I like, I want to have that connection. But like, when you haven't slept for 20 hours, and you're trying it's to weird. Finish. Yeah, you're just like, I thought about like meeting Brett. He was like going by like where my shop was at like three in the morning. I was like, no, no, <laughs> not going to stop a man in the middle of the night to be like, oh, hey, nice to see you, buddy. And then uh, what's the second place single speeder this year? I forget his name, TJ? Chris? 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 Chris. 
he came by my bike shop that morning and it took me like 10 seconds to recognize him and realize and I was like do you need oh coffee? you're in a rush yeah <laughs> no no he just like he came in he was like hey can I get a tube and I was like yeah yeah just give me a tube uh, give them and I'm like take the tube <laughs> go like go down the bike path you'll be fine you don't need a tube and he, I'm like well I don't know maybe do take the tube like bike paths you know you can get a plat there and then I was like do you want a free coffee they'll give you a free coffee tell them I'll give you a free coffee go get whatever you need do you need food and like he didn't need anything he just you know stopped by got a just tube, tube. have some coffee yeah get yeah. to finish I love that yeah but really just give them a break because they're so out of it like yeah. and they'll talk to you because they haven't talked to anyone in a while mm -hmm. but like they probably just like just go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm super, personally, super happy that you're back in town. Yeah. I'm sure everyone else in this room is also. We all love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What to do with this? Zach? I know what to do. Zach, is your, uh, say your last name again? Your whole name. Zach McCool. Mick Cool? <laughs> Mur Cool. Not Mick Cool. Are you sure? Mur Cool. It's Mur Cool? Okay. Yeah, cool. I just want to check. <laughs> it's legit. I've been asked before on rides. Is, is, that just, is that just a Strava thing or is it real? No, no. Here's my driver's license. It's been that way my whole life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, is that one of those names that has served you well over the years? You know, it never really bothered me until I got into college. And then the, oh, that's so cool joke started. <laughs> hey, my wife, she she finally experienced it the first time about three months ago where she was at the bank doing something. And, oh, McCool, that's such a cool name. How long have you had? Just, just, I've no. heard it like a thousand, as many miles as there are on the Arkansas High Country Race. That's how many times I've heard that one. In a month. In a month. <laughs> so what did you, uh, again, it's been a hot minute since you introduced yourself, but what are you known for on this year's race? So I'm the first person to do the full course with the single track option. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Andrew, weren't you and I talking about how we were wondering when somebody was going to finally do it? We were just talking about that. And then you showed up and actually did it. So uh, what was that the plan from the beginning? Was that like, I'm going to stake down this claim to fame. Everybody else has got all these other things. I might as well just knock out the first ever. When I started, yes. Um, but when I started training for the race, absolutely not. Um, it took me about 18 months to get ready for this race. Just mentally preparing, physically preparing. Um, and it was about at the... Uh, rule of three race that we had up here. So that was back in March. Yeah. Um, I kind of looked at my fitness, looked at the course, looked at some of the other people who have done it. I knew I wasn't going to do anything special on the full course. Uh, if I just went out and, and buried myself, I knew my fitness and, and my experience, um, I wouldn't be able to set a fastest known time on, on the full course. Um, with it being my first ultra, though, I wanted to do something special. Um, coming from a mountain biking background, no one's ever done it. Well, why not? It's there. Heck yeah. Go for it. Um, so when I showed up at the starting line on my GPS, I did not have the normal course loaded at all. Right I was on. dedicated from the, from the uh, start yeah. all the way through. 
Did, was there anybody else this year that was tackling it? Did you know going into it? or I didn't know until we met um, about halfway through the Love It Trail. Uh, Hayden Phillips, I believe, was the other guy who did it. Um, so when we crossed paths, I was in the mode of just finish the race. Finish the race, you'll, you'll get the first known time. When I crossed paths with him, I was like, oh, man, I'm 100 miles behind him. What, what am I doing? I've been <laughs> relaxing this whole time. I've got a race now. Yeah. Um, so the second half of the race was totally different than the first half. Yeah, so tell us what happened, man. I mean, you, you're like, meet your rival on the Love It Trail. You didn't even know that. You're like, hey, man, I'm going to just ride the Love It, and I'm going to be the first person to ever do it, and you meet your rival. Then what happened? Did you love it? Did you love it? <laughs> you're fired, Ernie. Ernie. Ernie, you're drunk. <laughs> We're actually, all drunk. Actually, there is a video of me out there about 15 minutes into the Love It Trail. I'm sitting there videotaping. It's like, oh, this is easier than I thought. I'm loving it. They're like, this trail's living up to its name. Uh, but I knew later on, um, about three months before the race, I'd gone out and done the single track portion. I wanted to make sure that my equipment would be able to handle that. Yeah. Um, so I was actually uh, walking up the longest, steepest, most baby head strong trail I've ever seen. Um, got up to the top of it, nice little bench there looking over the lake, and I pull up track leaders. And I'm like, oh, what? Who, who is this? What the heck? <laughs> uh, and I text my wife, and I'm like, hey, do you see this? Uh, and she's like, yeah, me and my sister, we saw when he turned off, and uh, we were wondering when y'all were all run into each other. It's <laughs> like, well, I haven't run into him yet, but thanks for the heads up. Uh, so, yeah, we, we crossed, and uh, everyone that saw going the other way, I warned them that, hey, Poto Mountain is, is completely dry. There's not a single bit of water out there. Carry your water. That's 114 miles, no water. So I warned him of that. We talked back and forth a little bit. Um, I looked at his bike, and, and he was a little bit better prepared for the single track, I think. He had a dropper post, and it was a mountain bike converted into a drop bar. But I was almost done with the single track. And when I got into Hot Springs, I was like, okay, I've, I've already spent three nights in a motel, but I need to rest. I need to get my mind right for this next big push. Um, when I woke up that next day, though, it, it was go time. It was, I'm not going to check track leaders. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to push as hard as I can for the next two or three days because I knew I had that 100 miles that I needed to make up on him. Plus, I wanted a buffer. Um, so I kept pushing as hard as I could until I had about a 75-mile lead on him. He was going into Poto Mountain, which I knew was absolutely horrible. I was getting to the point of the trail, the course that I'd done several times before. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm set now. I can relax again. And then I found out my bike was broke. <laughs> <laughs> In what way? So I ride a uh, Trek checkpoint that has the ISO speed on the rear. Um so what that does is the seat tube and the top tube and uh, seat stays are actually disconnected. It has a bolt that runs through there, so it acts as a pivot. Kind of gives you a little bit of suspension back there. I lost one of the two bolts that hold that whole assembly together. Mm. <laughs> I get to I the top. Just to stick a stick in there, right? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I got to the top of the next climb and texted my, my uh, mechanic friend. I was like, hey, what do I do? I'm 120 miles away from home. 
Like, I'm freaking out here. I really want to finish this thing. What do I do? Uh, and he texted me back. and was like, dude, don't worry about it. Take everything out of your bag, your seat post bag, uh, your seat bag, and uh, make that as light as possible. Do not sit down going down here. <laughs> He's like, you, you, you do not want to put any more stress on that point than you, want, you know, can. Um, so I had about 40 miles to go before I hit marble with this little tiny string backpack I'd packed like five minutes before the start of the race. I was like, eh, might need it, might not, might as well throw it in there. Thank God I had it. Uh, got into marble and I bought this nice little tie-dye backpack and <laughs> threw everything in that and uh, finished the race with that on it. Yeah. <laughs> tie-dye. <laughs> it was pretty sweet. <laughs> Everybody driving by is like, that guy's got tight eyes. <laughs> so I I almost did the Lovett Trail as my first ever bikepacking race, but my bike was stolen the night before I ever got a chance to do it. So I never actually have ever ridden. I've ridden the Lovett by itself, but not bikepacking. How is it bikepacking? I mean, nobody here can tell me about it. Like, <laughs> oh, y'all just skip that section. So what, what's it like to bike pack the love it, man? So on a gravel bike, it sucks. <laughs> right on. Um, the gearing I had was uh, the stock GRX on the front, so it was a 4630. And then I had an XT cassette on the rear, so I had my lowest gear was a 3040. Um, not great for mountain biking at all, especially not out there as steep as it is. So it was walk up the hills, ride the flats, and probably 80-90% of the downhills was rideable, but I had to really look far ahead to make sure that there's not a drop coming up or something of that nature that I need to get off and walk. Yeah. Um, probably the most stressful point of the race was the love it, for sure. Maybe not the most physically demanding, but the most mentally demanding, for but sure. things can go wrong. Yes. Real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah. And no one's out there to save you. Right. And it may be three weeks before someone comes walking down through there to save you. I stole the mic to say something. <laughs> I loved yeah, it's okay. I loved your involvement with your Instagram stories through the whole thing. And my favorite one was when you had just started doing the single track and you like your bike, you set your bike down and you're kinda out of breath and you were like, This is like really hard. And this sucks, and I've only gone like a quarter. No, I've gone a half a mile. I've gone a half a mile. Awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just the, the amount of excitement that went from when you processed for like, I've only gone a quarter mile. Like, no, I've done a half a mile. Yes. Like, that made me laugh so hard. I love that. So your, your perspective, I mean, like, I know I've, I at least watched your stories, and so I know you were like on and off the bike that whole time, but... That was so, so wholesome. I loved it. Well, is there anything that you would have done differently? Because I, I know you just, you just like showed up at OGC one week and just started riding loaded with us. And I was like, who's this guy? And they're like, oh, Zach, he's going to do the high country. And I was like, oh, dope. Sweet. I hope he stays. And you just kept showing up and then, and then you freaking did it. So that is incredible. But is there anything that you would have done differently or prepared more for in retrospect? The prep stage, I don't think so. Um, so for almost a year and a half, every ride I did, I had my bike as loaded as I could. As close. I've only seen you ride loaded. That's 
It's weird riding that bike unloaded now. It's, yeah. It really is. Yeah. It, it floats around. It, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you could whip that thing around. <laughs> um, so, you know, doing all those loaded rides, it, it's it's a couple of different things. It's um, the fitness aspect of it, knowing how it climbs, knowing what uh, it's capable of doing. Um, also, just testing the, the equipment. That was my biggest thing. Again, this was my first ultra. Um very similar to you, I, I had two or three hours twice a week, three times a week to train for it, plus every other weekend I could get out for all day. So it was that um, being as prepared as possible, knowing how the bike would handle, knowing what parts of my equipment would work, what parts needed changing well before the race. You, you don't want to get 300 miles into the race and find out, oh, that seat bag's not going to work, or hey, that zipper blew out on that back. Did you have a, a mentor like Derek did with Andrew? Andrew, me and you talk quite a bit on Instagram and things of that nature, but we only rode together once, twice before the race. Well, I was going to ask about one of those rides real quick as a final question. <laughs> so I made this really evil route, and it was how, how far in advance was that before the race? Three weeks. Three weeks before the race. So um, you came to join, and I said, hey, I know you've been – training loaded down all this time but you may not want to do this ride loaded down it might be more beneficial for you to not be loaded down and one of the very first descents on the first day what happened to your bike <laughs> going back to uh the bike feeling weird not loaded now um so everyone had left me on the first two or three climbs because i was very much in race mode um watching my heart rate you know I'm not going to push it too hard, especially not this close to the race. There's there's no way that I can bury myself and recover for the race. So I know from my mountain biking experience and the people who we were riding with that I could probably catch a couple of people going downhill. You know, that's that's where I like going fast. That's where I like having fun. Um, coming down, I think it was the second descent of the day, actually. A um, couple of real nice flowy turns, picking up speed, come around a right-hand turn, and all of a sudden the road is completely washed out, 30-degree outslope, rocks everywhere, and I'm like, okay, I'm going down. <laughs> the question is, how am I going down? Um, I had two options, slam on the brakes, slide out, and cheese grater my way to a stop, or uh, slow down as much as possible and go over the bars. I chose option two. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I survived perfectly fine. I got a nice little scar right here from it now. Um, bike, not so much. I actually crushed part of my seat stay on the drop side. Thankfully, I have experience doing carbon repair. I rushed home. So I got to the bottom of the hill, told everyone what had happened. Everyone thought I was nuts because I was on a ride back to the car, go home, pick up my spare bike, and be back out the next day. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I rode the next two days with them and bailed on the third day because the fit on the bikes weren't exactly the same. Uh, spent the next two weeks ordering parts and rebuilding, ordering parts, rebuilding my, uh, my race bike. And I think I had all of three 20-mile rides on it before the race. And that's just one thing I really wanted to applaud because I saw how much effort and time he put into all this over the course of basically 18 months, and then right before the race, he cracks a carbon frame and then <laughs> turns around, and what does he do? He's like, well, I'm going to have problems during the race, 
And right now I'm not in the race, so this is a good opportunity for me to learn how to cope with things that go wrong. And I'm going to carry this into basically the mentality of this is just more training for the race itself. So after that, I was like, this guy's going to do the damn thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. Woo. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. Awesome. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to do, I wanted to find out who had the most mechanicals, and I thought a nice, fun little way we could do that is, if you had a mechanical, raise your hand. You didn't raise <laughs> You didn't have any mechanicals, Derek? Well. <laughs> He's like, I only did a little bit. Um, okay, so wait, hand's still raised if we have one. Did we have two? Did we have three? I mean, what what would you say is a mechanical that somebody else would say isn't a mechanical? <laughs> I would say if you fix it and it's uh, it occurs again, it counts as a separate one. That would be my. Like if you get a flat, you get a you fix it and you get another flat. That's two. Okay. So we're at three mechanicals. Twelve. <laughs> Well, did you have a lot of flat tires? <laughs> so do you win, Dylan? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, wait, how many did you have? Do you feel? I ran out of gloves and I took mine. Dang. And then I bought car tire plugs, cut those, and then started putting them in. Because, yeah. Because who needs a tube? <laughs> And Ernie's saying flats. So nothing with, nobody had any cracked frames. I had a pretty massive frame failure on photo mount. When I, when I did photo mount, it was rain four inches on the <laughs> going up and down. Yeah. But when I got to the other side, I mean, I could hear it. I was coming down in traditional downpour, rivulets of water running down the mountain as I yeah. splashed my way down. And uh, at a certain point, I could hear when I pulled on my brakes, it was making this weird echoing sound. And I knew that was because the, the pads weren't returning off the rotor. And so it was, yeah, it was weird. It sounded like, it sounded like a horn. It sounded like my bike was making a sound I'd never heard. And I kind of knew it was because the pads weren't returning enough. So I stopped and I felt my calipers and they were boiling hot. Mm. I mean, the mineral oil in them was boiling. And so I like, literally was like splashing water on my calipers <laughs> to cool them down. Chill and then out. I spent <laughs> four miles like trotting down the mountain instead of riding because I yeah. couldn't use my brakes. Gonna, and I didn't want yeah. them to fail altogether. But yeah. by the time I got off the poto descent, my brakes were... Trash. And trash, I, like, yeah. Pulled off that. You know how you hit that stretch of road when you come off Poto going clockwise? I pulled off on that little abandoned chicken farm and mm -hmm. I sat in that driveway for an hour mm. working on my brakes. So. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch this YouTube section again because I need to know about your. Well, I mean, someone needs to make one because I, yeah. I didn't do it very elegantly. It was, <laughs> yeah, I broke Were some you things. Did you hear it before? Yeah, I mean, it was like a. I don't know. Like I just could hear my pad was just staying close enough to the rotor that it was actually producing a sound. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, and you can actually feel it. It's like the pad is uh, sticking to the rotor. That's what it feels like. It feels like a gummy. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. But anyway, I knew about that. I knew about boiling the mineral oil in your calipers. Um, I never felt it happening. But I knew something was off, and I stopped, and I was like, I'm just going to feel the calipers just in case. And sure enough, I and could barely like, hold my finger on them. That's how hot they were. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Well... Awesome. Yeah. So I guess we can give our mechanical trophy to Dylan. Dylan. 
Dylan wins. Dylan wins. Oh. Dylan wins again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry for your soft story, Seth, but Dylan wins. <laughs> choice of like I had tires that I would never recommend taking to the race it's just what was on my bike mm-hmm. and I was like I am going what so, a mechanic yeah right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, at the beginning of all these races everyone's just like well I've got what I've got mm-hmm. we're yeah it. we're gonna do it yeah awesome well that wraps up our questions and I think our time as well Uh, thank you again so much to all you guys that drove so far and even if you live in town for just showing up Um, all of our participants and everyone that came it I mean Patrick you guys did you you guys all did a great job so thank you so much does anybody have any lingering overwhelming questions for any of our panelists yeah yeah what's your question my question I don't know. is, uh, there's one person who's done it both directions. Which way is more Ooh. So there's... Who's, who is that? Who's done it? Seth, you've done it both directions? Okay, oh. so which way is harder, clockwise or counterclockwise? Um, I thought a lot about that. That was actually one of the motivating factors of riding the other way, um, was to figure out the answer to that question. I'm not sure I know, because it didn't rain on me last time. Right. And I think the rain made a big difference. I will say, having now ridden it both ways, I think if you want a better ride experience, I would ride it clockwise. clockwise. Because ending a ride of that magnitude with seven, 50 to 70 miles of that greenway through um, yeah, urban environments, it's, very, it's like an assault on your senses. It's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah. I found it much more pleasant to navigate all of that in the beginning, like yeah. all of those weird turns and all of that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the way Chuck designed the route, I mean, as Andrew said earlier, I do think that the route is a masterpiece of like bike route design. And it's, it was very clear to me riding it this year that Chuck intended that ride to be ended riding it counterclockwise, that you do all the hard, most remote riding toward the end. At the end, yeah. And you don't even, I mean, you approach Fayetteville, but you're not actually in the city until like three miles from the finish. Three, Like you don't even, you're just in this farmland and it's a very serene and a very peaceful way of ending a very mm-hmm. long ride like i like both Lindsay and i i think felt that we felt very peaceful at the end of it and that is not how i felt when i finished it last year and i didn't even incur that many challenges it was just the very oppressive nature of the environment compared to how isolated i had been beforehand so like it's a better it's a better ride yeah going clockwise right? clockwise yep. yeah but it's equally hard yeah both ways i think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it started in Yes, that's the thing. I mean, ever since you announced the news about Hot Springs, I'm like, I can't even really. It's going to be a completely different ride. I mean, it will be a completely. That's what's cool about it. Twice from Little Rock, right? Yeah, twice from Little Rock. Uh, Both uh, clockwise. So I think uh, it was easier starting from Little Rock, I think, just because you tackle the first part, Poto Mountain area. It's so remote that um, tackling it, at the, well, I didn't do it this year, so I didn't finish. But I think tackling at the end, is, it would just be more difficult, right? Um, but I think it was really strategic. I think Scotty can talk more about this. There are more resupply places if you did it counterclockwise. But for that same reason, it gives you a lot more options to uh, opt out. Mm-hmm. So, and to kill time. So uh, it makes it more difficult just mentally to do it uh, counterclockwise. When you're doing it clockwise, when you get to that hard part, like 
you, there's no, you can't turn back. You got to just go. So, but I'm sure Scott, you can uh, talk about that a little more. <laughs> Lindsay, what, um, what made you decide to go counter versus clock? Oh, I did clock. Yeah. What did yeah. you, what did you base your decision off of? Oh, I actually just looked at what people had done for the most part prior years. And I said, oh, it looks like that know, 80% of people went <laughs> clockwise. I guess clockwise is the way to go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That was really it. I love that you're a very, like, point-and-pick person. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Is there – somebody else had a question. Yes. Uh, regarding the race last year, Andrew's performance, how did it feel to have most of the community refer to you and Ted King as the Clash of the Titans when you were coming upon each other? <laughs> the home, homeboy from Arkansas versus the ex-professional going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, how are they going to meet? <laughs> I'm going to repeat the question just for podcast sake. And then, yes, <laughs> you can come up here. So the question was, last year when Andrew did the high country, he raced against Ted King and what that was like to be referred to as like the local homeboy that's taking on the ex-professional. Uh, I mean, I didn't look at social media at all the whole time. So I didn't really know how anything was being projected to the general public, I guess or even how many people were actually tuning into it. So it was very, like, I basically, if I uploaded anything on social media, I just tagged something for Jesse or Lily to then relay it to everybody else. I didn't want to deal with any of it. And usually it was like, I go into a grocery or a gas station, I hit upload, and usually by the time I'm walking through the store, the internet's decent enough to where I'll upload in my back pocket, and then I'll just pull out my phone and double check that it worked, and then I just keep riding my bike. So... Uh, honestly, I just had, I had no clue what uh, anybody was saying, or I'd look at the, the dots and see I was like keeping up. And for me, it was just, it was a massive adrenaline rush. It was just the coolest thing ever. I'm like, I'm playing, like Dylan said, I'm playing bikes with Tech King right now. That's what I was doing. And that was just wild. And the adrenaline wore off at some point and then got in my head. And then ultimately it was my downfall. So it was just a really cool learning opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool that. Afterwards, seeing how many people in Arkansas uh, were cheering me on, I was like, this, this is sweet that, for one, people actually cared and were paying attention. But definitely was not Clash of the Titans, because Ted is a Titan and I am not a Titan. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, it gave me the, uh, the insight that maybe one day that I can play bikes with these people. So mm -hmm. for now, I'm just learning more and training more. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, raffle time. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting on a few more people to get raffle tickets, so we'll take a few more questions until I get the raffles, and then, yeah. When it hurts, what hurts? It begins with your ass. <laughs> um, for me, at least. That's where it starts. I think we play this game of shuffling between contact points on the bike. We have hands, feet, and seat. Um, for me, if my seat starts to get uncomfortable, that means I'm pushing off somewhere else. So then I'll start to get hot spots on my feet and then my hands will start to go numb. And then I do all these crazy things with my neck and like, then I'll feel it here. And so it's just this constant like reminder that you have to move. I tell people all the time and Ernie tells people bike fitting. If you sat at your computer for five hours straight, you, something would hurt. So it's normal that something's going to hurt if you're in the same position for hours and hours. On you're end. riding 1,030 miles. Yeah, like, let's just be practical. Hurt. And so then it's just a, a game between like it's the knees and then it's your 
lower back. And so it's just a constant, like, but for me, it starts with my butt. <laughs> yeah. Question? Yeah. Um, the week before, what is it that you do special? Uh, like, you know, maybe you have sex, don't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he took it there. <laughs> he skipped the caffeine versus the caffeine. Ernie, would you like to answer this one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Sam, somebody wants to know. <laughs> Every day, um, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> a joke. Um, not sleeping. <laughs> what is your week in preparation to winning? To winning? That's your to, well, to, to to to. <laughs> Like, what do you focus on? Well, yeah. Clearly, I didn't focus on the correct thing because I'm the only one that did <laughs> yeah. not finish this not, race. Not hydrating. Yeah. No, but, Who gives so, the mic to Ernie? <laughs> Who gives the mic to Ernie? Well, it, yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, I think, uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's not like a boxer, right? You, like, you, you can have sex if you want to have sex. So, right? I'm sure it's like, it's almost like, a, hey, a farewell. Here we go. We're going to go away. Maiden voyage. It's like, it's like a sailor. I'm going to go away. <laughs> so... <laughs> Let me just leave it all in there and I'm gone. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> you try to hydrate as much as possible, which I didn't. Um, and yeah, when you, I think when you bike pack, uh, you, uh, you just, you're living life as it is and you're at, you are super anxious. So you're just making sure that you're, all your equipment's working right. Um, and you're just trying to eat as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? You almost gain a little bit of weight to, uh, cause you're going to tackle this adventure where you're going to be so depleted of food. So you, the last couple of weeks, you try to eat as much as you can and drink as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Sex is optional. Sex was optional. <laughs> I have something to add to that. I think that another, this is not related to prepping your body or the bike, which is obviously the most important thing. But I think one of the overlooked ways of prepping for an event like this is to actually take care of all those other things that normally you stress out a lot of like pay your bills yeah like send your day yes. like, don't give yourself things to remember while you're out yes. on the course that stress you out and demand your time and energy mm-hmm. so you gotta Great like think advice. ahead and like take it take care of your life you know like whatever your priorities are whatever your job is like take care of your shit and get all your ducks in a row so you can feel like you can go out there and actually be in that space and dedicate yourself to the task. Yes. If you suddenly realize that someone needs a $200 payment from you or they're going to shut your gas off at home and you have kids, then that's really going to pull your head out of the ride. So mm-hmm. I think something that gets overlooked is that you can pay a lot of attention to your body and your bike, but if you haven't like tucked your life away, you know what I mean, and gotten your life it's at least somewhat in order to be able to step away from it for a time, then you're yeah. going to feel very divided while you're out there. Yeah, because y'all are out there at least for a week yeah. around. And so that, that's a long time to be away from your So I want to add family. a little bit more to that. Um, you're so true <laughs> about that, right? So um, right before we started the race, St- uh, Scotty said, so how many days do I have to finish this race? Well, like, like, you can probably finish it in like two weeks maybe, right? She's like, I'm going to take the whole two weeks to finish this race. That means I get a vacation, right? We've been working on this property and this project for such a long time. That she actually thought about, how about if I just stay out there this long and I'm just going to have a vacation. I have nobody to talk to. There's no emails, no nothing. I just take care of myself. So um, she really thought about doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And look at her go. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) SKT. 
Patrick, Patrick wants to know what changed your mind. She's, I'll answer this for Scotty. Scotty is an athlete. Scotty is really practically not going to take two weeks to do something that challenges her. And so as soon as she gets on the bike and her head gets in the game, she's like a light switch and it just flips on and we can't stop her. So. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, it is fun out there when you get to just focus on yourself. I know there's a lot of probably parents in the room and, you know, it's intense. You know, you got a full-time job and you've got people that you have to care for. And then you go out on this adventure and literally the only person you have to care for is yourself. And so that's pretty fun. And I, I did enjoy that a lot. Even though it hurts and it's hard, I also enjoyed so much just being out there with me. Nice. So, yeah. One more question? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go check on the raffle tickets. Yes. Okay. So the question was in one sentence, what was your carrot? What was your motivation that kept you going? What was your why? Well, I told so many people about this that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's really no turning back. <laughs> my, my dad, he was like, "You're going on another bike ride. How how long is it?" Two hundred forty miles. I was like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> Hot damn. So I just felt like I had a lot of people watching the dots. So that was, you know, the people, um, your, your community, your loved ones. Um, mm -hmm. um, my wife texted me. She actually stayed up most of the night. Um, so that, and I was talking to Andrew about this, like that was mentally um, helped me, you know. But, yeah, it's um, all the people I told about. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, what was yours? Oh, mine is, um, I'm out having fun at, on my bike. I'm not at work. <laughs> yes. Anyone else? Yeah, you just keep getting um, better to me. I feel like I, to prepare for these events, I usually feel like I have to make sacrifices in different facets of my life, whether for work or family. And at least when I came very near having like enough of a mental break to, I think I had, I mean, it was, I don't, I've never really quit a ride like this, but I felt like this time around I came the closest to that feeling that I've ever experienced. And definitely I was well aware of what pulled me out of it was the knowledge that I had already sacrificed so much time and energy with my family and work. And I was like, you need to make all of that worth it, you know? And there's 180 miles of traversable road between you and, finishing what you started yeah you're like we've come so, this far yeah so it just it kind of felt like i don't know that to me was what did it this time around. yeah i think maybe it's not the same every time you know i think it kind oh, of depends yeah. where you are yeah i agree with that totally i got one yes i just really want to yes. say some breakfast food <laughs> uh yeah like every one of these people probably were like oh i'm gonna get to and then their mind is already like, I'm eating that burger. At that yeah, place. yeah. And watch one of us fall apart whenever they close early. Yeah. And you're like, so like no burger? Yeah. <laughs> really quick, before we draw these raffle tickets, I was in McDonald's in Mountain View. And I rolled up to the drive-thru because they were doing construction. I couldn't go in the store. So I went through the drive-thru on my bike, ordered my massive meal, Got to the window to pay, and he looks at me, and he goes, I can't serve you on a bicycle. That's a rule. And I said, well, let me put my bike away. I will be right back. And so I put my bike away, and I walked up. He's like, no, you don't. I, I can't serve pedestrians or bicycles. 
And I just looked at him and I was literally like tearing up. You're like, sir. This is like mile 650 or 700. And I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> My whole I life. I have depends. been looking forward to this moment for like, for like 300 hours. miles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, I don't, do I need to go like sit in the, in the curbside pickup? I'll call you and place the same order. Just give me, give me the burger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can we make this work? Yeah. And so he looked at me and he goes, my manager isn't here. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But you can't tell anyone. And I was like, I, you're like, I literally looked at him and I was like, I will not be the only one who tries this. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there are others there behind are others. me. Yes. I'm right. just the first because I'm a badass. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This was in Mountain View. But for legal reasons, we don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Jill Dabbs is going to give him a call. Yeah. She's going to change that for us. Yeah. Anyway, I've got some raffle items. Thank you guys so yes. much for listening. Yes. All right, all right. How much fun was that and how much FOMO do you have that you weren't there? Hmm? I was there because I drove nine hours. By the way, in the beginning, whenever I said I'm the guy who drove fucking nine hours to be here, it's it was in response to Andrew who had asked me. I guess I was doing my introduction and I didn't realize it. But anyway, he was like, and you're the poor person who? I'm like, and you know me, I've got to start off with a curse word right off the bat. Poor kids. All right. Well, again, we missed last week's episode. And so we're going to do a double header this week. This one's coming out a day early on Tuesday. And then this week on Thursday, we're going to have another hot drop with YouTube sensation Ryan Van Duzer, along with Monumental Loop creator and Danger Bird event director, uh, Matt Mason. Uh, it's the first time I've done a twofer with two different people in two locations on Zoom. Uh, but I think it went pretty well. We got that one in the can, and that one's coming out on Thursday. Trying to give you all something to be thankful for going into the holiday season. Two episodes, one week. All right, everybody. Well, if you appreciate me driving all over the country to bring you hot fire podcasting content, you'd like to help support the efforts over here at Bikes or Death, I am getting closer and closer to making this my full-time job, which means just a lot more content and being able to just... Yeah, it means more of this. And who wouldn't want more of this? If you want to find out more, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash bikes or death and find a level of financial support that suits your pocketbook. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here and tuning in to today's episode. And thanks again to Lily for sharing the stage, all the participants on the panel, and Natural State Rock and Republic for hosting such an amazing atmosphere and event. Now, until next week, folks, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore?
further Every pedal stroke Stronger and firmer Your bike feels weightless Your legs aren't tired You think to yourself Just a few more miles Bikes Oh, death Bikes Oh, death